Hey friend, I've created a new training and companion workbook for you that will help you ditch those limiting beliefs that keep you stuck and create the confidence you crave. It's 22 minutes of pure gold that moves you to the next level of success in your career or business. Just go to my website, barbarachurchill.com, and click the Start Here tab in the upper right-hand corner. Enter your name and email, and you'll have instant access to this life-changing information. It's that simple. Go get it. You are listening to Episode 3 of the Create What You Crave podcast, the one where I shine a light on the messages and myths of imposter syndrome. Welcome to the Create What You Crave podcast, a place for creating the self-confidence you need to be your best self as a leader at work and in life. If you want to bring more authenticity, more boldness, more clarity, and more fun to your world, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Barbara Churchill. Here we go. Hello, hello, my friends. How are you? Hello, episode three. Can you even believe it? I'm having so much fun doing this. I hope you are feeling fabulous because I definitely am. I had a great weekend with my hubby and my adorable Westie dog, Daisy. She is such a charming dog. I'm telling you, I just love her up. Hung out with my middle son and his girlfriend. We had them over for dinner, made some homemade pasta. I have a killer Alfredo sauce recipe that truly, truly makes me want to just crawl into the bowl and roll around in it. Honestly, it's that good. So what are we talking about today? Imposter syndrome. Now, before you get all up in it, I don't like the term syndrome because it makes me think of a sickness that's outside of my control, right? I mean, it's like you have this thing you're diagnosed with. It's a label that I don't think is particularly useful. And quite honestly, I think is detrimental to how you can see yourself and how you see other people. If you know someone says to you, oh yeah, yeah, I've got imposter syndrome or whatever, right? I really prefer the original term imposter phenomenon. And I am a little bit of a word geek. So I asked the Google what the definition of phenomenon was, and it is a fact or situation that is observed to exist or happen. I like that better. That feels better to me. Imposter phenomenon. It's just a thing that happens, right? It's a thing that exists. So For the purposes of this and moving forward, I'm going to be talking about imposter phenomenon rather than syndrome or complex. Okay. All right. There's my disclaimer for the, for the day. Lately, there's been a lot of buzz around imposter phenomenon and how society targets women as having that more than men do. And that is false. Men suffer from self-doubt and anxiety and discomfort just as much as women do. They just show it differently, right? They just you know, it shows up for them a little bit differently at work. So let me give you a little background on imposter phenomenon. Okay. It was really loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. Okay. This disproportionately affects high achieving people who find it really difficult to accept their accomplishments. And so many of them question whether they are even deserving of the successes that they've already had. There were two psychologists that developed this concept, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imus. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Anyway, and they originally termed it imposter phenomenon in their 1978 study, and that followed 150 high-achieving women. 
what they found was that despite doing really well academically and all their professional accomplishments, women who experienced the imposter phenomenon still believed that they really aren't that bright and that they've fooled everybody because everybody else, if they really found out, would think otherwise, right? They would think, oh my God, you really don't have it all going on. So that particular study triggered decades of thought leadership and programs and initiatives and coaching and all of that to address imposter phenomenon in women. You know, famous women have said, yes, I have this. I mean, I love uh, actress Charlize Theron and Viola Davis. I love those two and their movies. And they have said that they have suffered from this, right? Um, Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook has said she suffered with it. Our former first lady uh, in the United States, Michelle Obama, and even Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, they have all said that they have experienced imposter phenomenon at one point or another. So I got curious again, and I went back to Google. And when you search for solutions to imposter phenomenon, or you know the old term syndrome, more than 5 million results show up ranging from, you know, go to a conference, read this book, uh, recite, you know, all of the things you've accomplished in front of the mirror, all of these things. I mean, it's over 5 million things, right? So here's what's less investigated. You know, we're, we're looking for all of these solutions. Here's a quick fix, right? But it's not something that really needs to be fixed. Why does it happen in the first place? And why does it happen a lot at work? Well, here's what's not being looked at. It was less investigated. Why imposter phenomenon exists in the first place? And what role our workplace and societal systems play in fostering and worsening it in women? I think labeling women with imposter phenomenon and determining it as the reason that women don't trust their success is really short-sighted. I mean, I get this study. I'm not diminishing the work by any stretch of the imagination, truly, but it was only 150 women and it didn't include any other factors like education, income, race, ethnicity, workplace, environment, none of that. So to say doubting yourself or feeling some mild anxiety is equal to being an imposter is just not true. In fact, that very word imposter has a really negative connotation to it. It's almost like fraudulent, right? It it makes you feel awful. And just having normal feelings of nervousness or anxiety about learning a new skill or taking on a larger role is fine. I mean, that's kind of normal, right? That's what people, that's what happens when you try something new and you stretch yourself. But this imposter thing denormalizes all of those feelings. It's not something women suffer from, but our places of work haven't caught on to that fact. And they put the burden on women to get over it, to fix themselves. And to me, it's a lack of awareness of that habitual thinking going on in your brain. I felt this discomfort of learning a new skill and joining a new group. I mean, I've felt all that. I felt the self-doubt and you know, when you try something new, I felt all of that, especially when it's way outside your comfort zone. But I never felt like an imposter. 
I've never worried that someone's going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing or I really don't know what I'm talking about. Even in the depths of my darkest days of self-doubt, being an imposter wasn't on the menu. So I know that it is for a lot of women. I'm just saying from my experience, it wasn't. And I want to try to normalize some of these feelings of self-doubt instead of you thinking there's something wrong with you. Okay. So here we are, the myths and the missing pieces of imposter phenomena. Okay. It's a diagnosis of a mental health condition. It is not. It couldn't be further from the truth. Another myth is men don't experience it. Yes, they do. Women are responsible for fixing themselves. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't have to be fixed. That's such a myth. Another myth is it doesn't take into consideration our patriarchal society and corporate environments where the goal is to keep women quiet and hold them down by discrimination and abuse of power. And there's a feeling of being unsure. And that does not equal being a fraud not even close. And the last one is, it's not something that needs to be cured or fixed. It's something that you need to notice and shift in your own brain without shame, without feeling bad about it, right? Because your brain is a human brain. It's programmed to pay more attention to negative experiences than positive ones. That dates back to caveman days. You know, when we were on high alert, foraging for food, we didn't want to be the food, right? So we had to be on high alert. So when your brain is in autopilot, which let's face it, it is most of the time, isn't it? It's going to serve up thoughts that are negative. That's a well-worn neural pathway in your brain. All those habitual negative or skeptical thoughts. As humans, We have between 60,000 and 100,000 thoughts pass through our brains every single day, depending on our stress levels. Holy Hannah, that's a ton of thoughts. There's no way we keep track of most of those, right? And we don't even notice it. There's just too many. And here's the gig. Those thoughts, 95% of them are just repetitive. We've been thinking the same thing that we thought yesterday, last week, last month, last year, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Right. But here's the really interesting part of that. 80% of those habitual thoughts are negative. What? No wonder, no wonder you think negative, critical things about yourself that you don't even notice because everything you're thinking most often is just blends into the rest of your thinking. It's that negativity bias that we talked about earlier. And we're on autopilot most of the time at work and in our personal lives. Rarely do you take time to leave your desk for lunch or even to pee, really, let alone schedule time to think about all your accomplishments, right? Who does that? Nobody does that. What about those imposter phenomenon messages? They tell you all kinds of false things about yourself. And because you have a human brain that's designed to pay more attention to negativity, you just believe them as fact. It's like you're reporting the news. The messages say that you're not ready to go after that next level and then give you a laundry list of reasons why not. They say, hey, don't brag about your accomplishments because it was just luck, sister. Or listen, it wasn't you. It was your team or any number of bogus reasons to keep you from basking in your achievements. 
those messages that say, who do you think you are? And don't get too big. You should know better than to go after that. These messages are just sentences. They are sentences in your brain. And those sentences are called thoughts. That's all they are. And you have the power to choose whether to believe those sentences or not. It's that simple. Now, notice I didn't say it was easy because our human brains have been hardwired since we were born. And there weren't many people in our world telling us to question what we think, right? So my friends, I'm here to be that person for you. Just because you think it doesn't make it true. The sentences or thoughts in our heads have been there for a long time. And when we think a thought for a long time, it becomes a belief. And beliefs are ingrained. Look at some of the old beliefs that have changed. I mean, think about our history of the world, right? There's a lot of stuff out there that people believe that we found out later wasn't true at all, right? Like the world is flat. People believed that. People believe that if you sailed to the edge, you would fall off into oblivion, right? Well, we have come to find out that, no, that's not the case at all. What about smoking is glamorous? Do you ever watch old movies? I happen to adore old black and white movies. And notice how everybody has a cigarette, how it was so glamorous. It was so cool. All the best people smoked, right? Well, we figured out now that it causes cancer, okay? So we learned that, right? Different belief. What about driving after you've been drinking? And that's perfectly safe. They used to think that. You know, Mad Men, if you ever watch that show, which was a great show, if you ever watch that total example of, hey, go and have a two or three martini lunch, then drive back to the office or go out to parties and, you know, you're drinking all night and then you drive home. Well, we've since learned that alcohol impairs our ability to respond. And it is not safe to do that, right? But at one time, these were beliefs. But nobody thinks that today. Thank goodness. So let me say this again. Just because you think it doesn't make it true. I want you to think of your brain like you would a menu in a restaurant. Okay, stick with me here, all right? When you start to look at a menu, You look at all that they're offering, right? I mean, I do, but here's the deal with me. If you ever go out to eat with me, I always look at desserts first. So then I know whether or not I need to adjust my ordering so that I save space for dessert afterwards because I am a dessert lover for sure. So you look at the menu, all the categories, appetizers, soup, salads, sandwiches, we've got entrees, we've got pasta, we've got fish, all the sides, everything. And then you decide what you're going to have and you order it, okay? Then you go back to that restaurant again the next day and you order the same exact thing. You keep doing this for every single meal, day after day after day. And pretty soon, you don't even remember there are other things on the menu. You only see what you've seen and order that again and again and again. That's your brain and that's how it works. That's totally your brain, right? But you have a choice on what to order up for your thinking. Do you want to keep thinking that you're not ready or you're not smart enough or experienced enough? Or do you want to look at the other offerings your brain has for you? Other offerings like, you know, I've never done this before and I'm excited for this challenge. Or 
even though I didn't have time to prepare, I trust myself to ask the right questions. Or maybe even, I am so proud of how I naturally connect with people. It makes me approachable and my leadership authentic. These and so many more are available to you. What is it that you want to start believing about yourself? What's on the menu that you've missed? You have the power to change your thinking. And when you do, you shift how you feel. And when you feel differently, you show up differently. You're more productive. You're more engaged and authentic. And when you do that, you truly are alive. All right, my friends, go forth and choose something new and fun from that menu. Okay. All right. Till next week. Remember, I believe in you. Thanks so much for listening to the Create What You Crave podcast. I'm on a mission to help as many women as I can get out from under the weight of self-doubt and own who they are unapologetically. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, feel free to review it too, because I really want to hear from you. I invite you to learn more by visiting me at barbarachurchill.com. And if you know you're ready to take that next step, you can schedule a time for us to connect. I'll see you next week.